0: Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, Bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Okay, hey everybody, we are in a series called uh, The Great Adventure. This is the second part of the book of Acts, and we're looking at Paul's planning churches and all of that stuff. The reason this section of the New Testament is so important is because it helps everything else fit together. We see Paul planting churches, and these churches that he planted, they either had problems or questions later on, so he wrote letters to them. So how does the New Testament fit together? The New Testament fits together this way. If you read the book of Acts, you see that Paul planted these churches, and then he wrote letters to the churches. And so in order to understand what Philippians is about, what Ephesians is about, uh, what Corinthians is about, uh, what Galatians is about. You kind of need to understand these churches that were planted by Paul. So I would, I would see that the, this section of Acts is sort of like a, a cornerstone of understanding the New Testament, how the New Testament comes together. So that's important. So uh, we're, we've been in uh, Acts chapter 16 today. We're going to finish that up. And uh, we're in Paul's second missionary journey. And before I start, I wanted to let you know that last Sunday... Uh, We had 500 people that listened to us on live stream in our community, uh, Listen to Facebook, and so we want to welcome our Facebook community. Thank you for listening to us, 500 people that were listening, so thank you for that. We had Donna Robbins, Marlon Torres listening, and so thank you so much for listening and being a part of this service, and we hope that you come to visit Bayshore soon and become a part of our church. Now, let me read uh, Acts chapter 16 to you. Uh, And let me just kind of unwind this for you a little bit. It's a little bit of a long passage, but it's a really interesting passage. So I'm going to begin reading in Acts 16, verses 16 through 40, and here's how it goes. Uh, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. This crowd the crowd joined an attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The jailers called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. When they immediately, uh, then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to rid us of uh, quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, so we're in this, uh, we're in this story. They're in a city called the city of Philippi. That's where they've been we, we read uh, last week where, uh, he, uh, where, where Paul and Silas and Timothy, who's with them, they reach this businesswoman by the name of Lydia they becomes a Christian. So he, they're in Philippi. Here's a map we'll put on the screen, so just like a little geography for you before we get started. If you look way in the corner, you can see Philippi. Uh, and Philippi is uh, a, was an ancient city, he had a big... Uh, uh, had, had a big uh, you know, uh, uh, area where people would gather an uh, outdoor uh, theater. they had all kinds of things there Philip, Philippi was a major city in the area, and it was named after uh, Philip Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great so you got this, you got this really interesting city, and Paul goes there and he, they 're in Europe, so they 're they're going west and they 're in Europe so the first person that became a Christian in Europe, was a wealthy businesswoman by the name of Lydia. So you think about that. He's going to Europe, and he meets this woman. who She sells purple cloths. She's from this city called Thyatira. And she is, she's a wealthy businesswoman, and she receives Jesus. So the whole thing about how things start at Philippi are very positive, and, and God's moving. It's often how it works with Paul's ministry. He goes into a city. Everything's good. It's like Jurassic Park. Everything's great at first, and then everything goes crazy. And so that's what happens with Paul here. You know things are going good, and you have, uh, you have Lydia become a Christian, and, 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 and things are really begin to happening. So you have this, this story where it says in this part of what we read, that Paul is on his way to a place of prayer, and when he's on his way to a place of prayer, he meets this woman that's completely different than Lydia. Lydia was educated. Lydia was rich. Lydia was independent. Lydia was confident. And you got this slave girl. She's poor. Uh, She's being abused and controlled by other people. So she's the antithesis of what Lydia is. And the Bible says that she has a spirit inside of her. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. She had a spirit inside of her, and she had the capacity, according to this text, to predict the future. And so that's what she's doing. And so Paul, you know, liberates her from this this spirit that's inside of her, and then they get mad, the people that own her, because they can't make any money off of her. They've been exploiting her, making money off her. And when the money's gone, you know, they don't care anything about this girl. They just, uh, now they're mad at Paul, and they get Paul incarcerated. But before he's incarcerated, he's beaten severely. The Bible says he's beaten severely, he and Silas. Now, I, I mean, they just beat them immerse, uh, mercilessly. And so that's how the story kind of unfolds. And Paul's singing in prison and all That's kind of a cool story. But what's interesting to me is I read this text, the first thing that stood out to me is, is the context in which this miracle happened where he liberated this woman that had this demon. And it says, that, it says that they were on their way to a place of prayer. They were on their way to a place of prayer. This is a common theme in the book of Acts. You see in the uh, day of Pentecost, they're all gathered in one room and they're praying and they're seeking the face of the Lord. Then we see in uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, they're on their way to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 o'clock, and they meet this guy that's crippled, and they bring healing to them. So let's think, about, let's think about the early church. Let's think about what we've been learning in Acts. We see a church that's consistently, constantly praying. They're a church that is seeking the face of God. They are fixated on God. They love God. They're worshiping God. They're seeking God, and they're constantly in prayer. If you look at... This church, and you look at the profile of the church of the book of Acts, you see a people who are yearning for God, and they're seeking God, and they're hungry for God. Now let's be honest, you know, uh, where most churches are in America today, I'm not sure the value that prayer holds in, in modern churches in America. I'm just not sure about where we are with that. And that's not to be critical, it's just an observation. I think that what we desire most in American churches, we desire really, really strongly, we desire Christian entertainment. And I'm not against Christian entertainment, but what I do know is that we are into Christian concerts, we're into Christian comedians, which I love all of those, I love Christian comedians, I love Christian concerts, but that is the focus of the modern church. We are very, very much focused toward Christian entertainment. This church... in in the book of Acts, they didn't have any Christian comedians. They didn't have any Christian concerts. They didn't have any computers. They didn't have any entertainment at all. But they were passionate about prayer, and they were always seeking the Lord. Now, here's something that we need to think about. If we want the results of the early church, we must do what the early church did. If we want to see not just a few people saved, a trickling of people saved, you know, on Sundays, but we want to see hundreds of people saved. We want to see just all kinds of people saved. If we want to see that type of thing and miracles, we're going to have to do what the early church did. In order to have the results of the early church, we have to do what the early church did. Say it with me. In order to have the results of the early church, we must do what the early church did. They were on their way to a place of prayer. They were on their way to pray. Now I remember, you know, when I was in college, Karen and I were uh went to Pensacola, Florida, where we were in Bible college and I remember one weekend, Karen was uh, going away for a lay's retreat. We had a great church there, a couple thousand people at the church we went to, a wonderful church, and she was going away for a lay's retreat, and I knew that was coming up, and to be quite frank, I was a young man, and sometimes when Karen went away, uh, I would experience temptation, and so I decided that before she went away, that that weekend, I was going to designate that time for prayer. So when she went away on Friday afternoon, instead of staying home and watching TV or whatever, uh, what I did when I got home from college, got home from my classes, I changed my clothes, I went back to the campus. And I spent Friday night uh, about 6 o'clock to about 9, 30, 10 o'clock in a garden that was on the campus there. And I sat on that park bench, walked around the park bench. And for about three or four hours, I just prayed and sought the Lord, just prayed and sought the Lord. And just, I remember that. I remember how passionate I was for the Lord. I'm, I'm 22 years old and Jesus is everything to me. And I don't have any money. I have no career, but I want to seek Jesus. I want to know the Lord more. And I don't want to fall into temptation while my wife is away. So I go to that campus and I'm just, I'm praying and I'm seeking the Lord. And I remember the next day getting up, having my breakfast and going back to that campus and spending the day in prayer and then going to church on Sunday morning and then Karen coming home Sunday afternoon. I can tell you it was one of the greatest weekends I ever had because i positioned myself to seek the face of the Lord, and I was hungry for the Lord. And, And God wants to raise up a church. He wants to raise up preachers in our generation that are hungry for God. God wants to raise up people that love Jesus more than anything. Now, I have to tell you, I remember When I first started pastoring this church, when we had, uh, you know, maybe 40 people, we didn't have any people, we didn't have any money, and I remember I lived next door to the church in a mobile home with with Karen and with uh, Tim, and then Joel came a little bit after we were here, and I remember on Saturday nights... Saturday nights, you know, uh, walking out on this road in front of the church uh, on this Highway 26, walking out here and, and on for hours before church started and raising my hands and praying for the Lord to bless our church and praying for God to do something great in our community. And I remember just praying and seeking the face of the Lord and just loving God and praying and seeking the face of the Lord. Now, you know, you can do that in Gumber on Saturday night because there's nobody coming through. There's no cars coming through. I wouldn't recommend doing that everywhere, but I did that, and I remember the hunger and passion that I had for the Lord, and I have to tell you, I have to, I have to make myself now. I want to make sure that I can get back to that level, because if we want the results of the early church, we're going to have to do what the early church did. Can you say, say a big amen? We don't let's give the Lord a praise off there. Listen, we don't, we don't want to just have church. We don't want to just like go through the motions. We want, we want to be a church where Jesus is live. Jesus is ministering to people. It's not just about entertainment. It's not just about good sermons. It's not just about good music and all that. All that's important. It's not just about the lights. It's about the presence of Jesus being here and people knowing that Jesus is real. Because if we want the results of the early church, we've got to become a praying church and seeking the face of the Lord. I remember. I remember when my uh, when I was growing up, and I was in high school, and I was in the it was in the seventies, and uh, God was doing something unique in our community. I've been here through all of that. I remember in the seventies when my mom and dad first found the Lord. Uh, I became a Christian. I think we all became Christians, like nineteen sixty nine, and my dad became a Christian, then my mom was a Christian, then me and my sisters, and we even had a Christian dog. I mean, we we love Jesus, and I remember. Listen. On Friday nights my mom and dad they had like you know 10 couples or 12 couples that they were good friends with that had all found the lord and those couples we they would get together bring all the kids together put us in a room throw some food in there lock the door and then they would they would go in the living room and they would fill all the couches and all the chairs. And some of the adults would be sitting on the floor. And they would be praying. They would just meet to pray and seek the face of the Lord. And we'd be in the other, I can tell you, I, could, I can remember being in the other room as, you know, as a kid. I could hear the volume of my parents praying. I could hear my dad's voice. I could hear those couples pray and seeking in the face of the Lord. Now that was the spirit of this church. They were constantly praying praying. So one of the things we're going to do this year, this is an announcement uh, for Easter uh, on Good Friday. We're going to have, a, you know, on, on Easter Sunday, and we'll have packed out here people everywhere. And we've got an amazing service plan. It's going to be incredible. I'm already excited about the message. I'm excited about the music and all that. But on Good Friday, we're going to open up our church at 11 o'clock. And anybody that wants to come to pray over every chair that's in this auditorium on Good Friday, we invite you to do that. Pastor Jeff and Mickey are going to. to be leading that. And we're going to be every single chair in this auditorium, we're going to pray over it. But who's going to sit in that service, and sit in that chair in the 9 o'clock, the 10.30 service? We want God to do something in them. It's just not up to Pastor Danny to preach a good clever sermon. We want God to minister to them. We want the Lord to touch them. You remember last, uh, last time we were in the book of Acts when I preached last time? It says that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to hear Paul's message. We want to make sure that on Easter Sunday that God is working and it open people's heart to receive the Lord, so that 's what we 're going to be doing, so, uh, and uh, so if you want to come on Good Friday, at 11 o'clock to pray, and at 12 o'clock in the, in the new uh, chapel, Pastor Jeff and Mickey will be leading a, a, a good Friday service, a short Good Friday service, so if you'd like to be a part of that. That'd be great. But listen, prayer is the key to the success of the early church. What did they do? It was really they were constantly praying and seeking the face of the Lord, and so uh, I'm just loving, loving what God is saying to us through that so they, they meet this girl that, as I mentioned, is the antithesis of, of Lydia. They meet this girl that is, uh, she is a slave girl and she has a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. So we got to look at that a little bit. This is a whole different thing for us to think about. What does it mean that she had a spirit of divination? What does it mean? What are demons? What does this all fit in? We find this in the book of Mark. We find it in the book of Acts. We find it in the ministry of Jesus' demons. Here's an interesting thing about demons. Demons, uh, it is a, a one-third, one-third of the ministry of Jesus had to do with the demonic people that had spirits that, that that gave them difficulty. So you have in this story you see a little bit that that there's something going on here that's just not normal. There's a spirit behind what uh, is going on in this lady's life. So that's an important thing for us to note. Now, here's what I want to just mention to you, what I think about this text. I want to say this to you. I believe that all of our problems aren't just circumstantial. I believe that sometimes we are in a spiritual battle, that there's spiritual warfare. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6. We do not wrestle just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. i say that when we do not... Wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. Now, I don't believe everything, every struggle we have is a demon. I don't believe that at all. In fact, I believe some of our problems, we don't have a demon. We just need a nap. We just need a nap. We're just tired and we're irritable. But sometimes we wrestle with with, uh, spiritual things that become an issue in our life. And so we need to be aware and cognizant of that. Anybody ever read The Screwtape Letters by uh, C.S. Lewis? Have Ever read that book? Great book about the strategy of the enemy and trying to afflict us and all that. So that's an important important thing for us to think about. So sometimes, you know, we're just having a bad day. Sometimes there's actually a spiritual battle that's going on that we wrestle with. I know in my life sometimes I'm just tired or just having a bad day. But then there are moments, there are seasons where I know I'm in conflict with one of the minions, one of the the spirits of the enemy, and I have to to deal with that. We listened to this guy uh, this weekend at our marriage conference, uh, Jimmy Evans, that was uh, one of the uh, presenters. And uh, this guy, he was like over the XO marriage conference that we did. And he had, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I think he's like the primary uh, overseer of the Gateway Church in Dallas now. that has about forty or 50,000 people. Amazing guy. But he was talking about uh, when he and his wife were first married and they were first in ministry, that they had this extended fight, and it's almost like they were, they were almost going to break up. In the early part of their marriage, that their marriage was very, very vulnerable, and it's almost like they weren't going to make it. And uh, so they had this fight one time that went on for like three or four days. Uh, those of you that are married, you ever had one of those extended arguments that just go on for days? Aren't they wonderful, you know? So uh, there was one of those things that uh, he was going on. And, and his, wife, he said, his wife said to him, it was Wednesday night, you want to go to Bible study? And he said, no, I'm not going to Bible study. He was mad at her, mad at God and everything, so he wasn't going to go. And so she went, and as she went to the Bible study, there was this you know, little prayer warrior lady in the prayer group, and she saw... Uh, Jimmy Evans's wife, Karen, Karen Evans, he, she saw her and she could tell that she was something was bothering her. And she said, you know what? This, this little old lady went to her and said, you know, I've been praying for you and Jimmy all day long. And she said, when I was praying for you today, I saw a lion roaring in your living room trying to destroy your marriage. And, and so, Karen Evans said she went home to Jimmy, and they have been fighting for three or four days. And they sit in the living room, and, and, and Karen Evans says to Jimmy, this is what this lady said. And, and they took hands, and they held hands, and they rebuked the devil. They were new Christians. They just rebuked the devil in the name of Jesus. And Jimmy Evans says at the moment that they did that, there was this release in their home. There was this peace in their home. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to take that spirit of contention out of their home. And now... They, they minister literally, literally to thousands and thousands of couples. So sometimes what we're dealing with is a spiritual uh, warfare. And so this woman had a, a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, let me just say this. Now, this is going to be controversial, but I'm just going to say this. Uh, and this is me. I'm just telling you about me. I'm not going to play with no Ouija boards myself. I'm not playing with no Ouija boards. Because people say, oh, that's just a game. That's just a game. Well, it could be a game, but there's a spirit associated with stuff. Like, I ain't going to see no palm reader. I don't, I, I'm not going to do it for fun. I'm not going to get with a group of people and have people, you know, some strange woman that may have the devil in her read my palm. I'm not going to do that. Because if I, anything I need to know about the future, I want to find out from the Bible, and I want to find the Spirit of God to teach me what, what I need to know about the future. I don't want any <laughs> devil in that thing. So there you go. I'm not even going to get into Harry Potter because I'm not a stupid man. I'm not getting into that. <laughs> oh, my family, I'm a kid with my family. They know how I feel about that, and they're all reading it. But anyhow, I'm just like, that's just me. But anyhow, that's just me. But this woman, this woman had a, she had a, uh, here's what it says. Literally, the Greek says she had a spirit, a python. A spirit, a python a python spirit. Now, where do they get that from? In the ancient world, there was a place called Delphi, uh, which was a city in Italy, and it was one of the great uh, Greek cities, and there was a temple to Apollo in Delphi, and there was a mythical python that was supposed to protect uh, Apollo in his temple. And and, and there was an oracle or a prophetess or a priestess that gave prophecies uh, in that town. So whenever Greece was going to make a major decision about a war, a political decision, the political leaders would go to Delphi and the prophetess uh, at Delphi that was protected by a python, a mythical python, would prophesy about what Greeks, Greeks were supposed to do. So when, when Paul said she had a python spirit, that was a spirit that, that enabled her to some way you know, predict the future over people, whether that was real or imaginary, that was what she did. And so Paul uh, liberated her from that bondage, and and he wasn't annoyed. You ever read the story, like, she's going behind him, these men are the the servants of the Most High God, and it seems like he was getting good advertisement. But uh, he was annoyed, not at the girl, but at the spirit, and he liberated this girl from that spirit that she had. And then uh, her owners were upset. Her owners were upset because now... They, they didn't care about this girl. They exploited this girl. They were absolutely, they were using this girl for their own benefit. They didn't care anything about her. And when they found out that she no longer had the capacity to predict the future because the python spirit had been uh, uh, cast out of her, they got mad at Paul because they uh, had affect, affected their economy. And then they had Paul cast into jail. But before they're cast into jail, they're severely beaten, severely flogged. And they throw them in to the darkest, lowest, dampest part of the prison. Put their feet in stocks. Now, they're not only in jail. Their feet are in stocks and their backs are bleeding. Now, let me ask you, this is where the text gets really interesting. What would you do if you've been beaten? You're there just trying to help people. You're there just trying to minister Jesus. You're helping people. And you end up getting beat and thrown in jail. What would you do? Because here's the principle. The principle is, it says they begin to sing hymns to the Lord and worship the Lord at midnight. Listen to this. You never know who you are when things are going good. You only know who you really are when things are going bad. You never know who you really are when things are going good. You only know who you really are when things are going bad. And we see inside of Paul what kind of person he really was. He was a person who had integrity. He was a person who really loved Jesus, and it wasn't a show. Let me tell you something. It's not, you know, when you look at a Christian and everything's going good, that means nothing. That means nothing. When you see a Christian going through hell and they've gone through a divorce and things are just, everything's going wrong and they lose their job and their life is like the epitome of a country song. Everything is going bad. And you see them still worshiping Jesus, you know that there's somebody there who is real, who is real. Say this with me. It is not good times that show my true colors, only bad times. When I was uh, in college, right after I finished college, Baba college, um, when I got done with Baba college, I, I you know, didn't have a church to go to, I graduated in May, and so I got a job at Shakey's Pizza in uh, Pensacola, Florida, I was the uh, dough guy, I made pizza dough, uh, pizza skins, I was the skin man, that was my title there. and. Uh, one more Liberty Bible College student successfully employed. There I was, and uh, I had that job. And I remember this one guy at the Shakey's Pizza. I was trying to win to the Lord, and I was telling him about Jesus, and I was trying to be a good worker, and I was trying to be a good example. And I'm always inviting him to church, and he would just always blow me off. Never wanted never wanted to come. One day we were there working, and I was in the, another section of the restaurant, and he had been sterilizing these pizza pans. They would put a stack of pizza pans in the uh, in the pizza oven there and heated up and so it would sterilize the pizza pans. And he got one of those big sticks and, sticks and pulled out all the pizza pans and set it on a table. And he went around the corner and I came back around and I saw the pizza pans and I thought they needed to be put away and I didn't know they'd just come out of the oven. So I reached down there and I grabbed a hold of those pizza pans and it scorched my hands. I am doing a Pentecostal dance on me like, whoa, man, I'm like jumping around, hollering, And this guy watched me, and he said to me, he said, after I got my hands in the cold water and all that, he said, I'm going to go to church with you. I said, why are you going to go to church with me now? He said, you grabbed those pizza pans. You didn't cuss. You didn't rip and rare. I know what you have must be really real. I'm so glad he couldn't read my mind because... (laughs) Because I'm cussing up a streak in my mind. I'm telling you. It was awful. And he came to church with me. He came to church with me. See people people are watching what we really are. And sometimes when you go through hell and you go through the fire and you go through difficulty, it's those moments. It says the other prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas singing. The other people were listening to them. They had never seen anybody respond To physical abuse the way Paul and Silas were. And it caught their attention. And you know what it says in the text? It said an earthquake came and their chains were loosed. And sometimes we go through difficulty. We go through trials. And I tell my pastor friends when I get to teach pastors occasionally and get to minister to pastors. And, you know, hey, listen. It means nothing. It means nothing when everything's going good. It means nothing when people are coming out of the wazoo and you, you, everything's going right in your ministry. It means nothing about your character. What really proves your character is when you go through adversity because adversity reveals who we really are. And Paul was a man who loved Jesus regardless. Now, let me think about Let's think about this a little bit. Here, how could they sing? They weren't singing... Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. They weren't singing that. They weren't feeling sorry for themselves. You know, how many, let me ask you a question how many have ever complained that life isn't fair? life isn't fair. You just, life is not fair. Let me tell you something that is absolutely true. Life is not fair, but the good news about that, if you can call this good news, life isn't fair for anybody. The, the universe hasn't conspired against you and to treat you. you. Life just happens. And Paul had this way of seeing God at work. And I think the reason that Paul could be successful In his uh, journey here is that he had the capacity to realize, remember what happened earlier? He couldn't figure out where to go and he had a vision, go to Macedonia. He knew he was where he was supposed to be. He knew that God was sovereign in his life. And the only way that a person can constantly sing is if they know that God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately in control. He is sovereign over everything. And I believe that with all my heart people say, well, what about this? What about that? What about this situation? I understand the complexities of that, but the way I live my life and what works for me, because I prayed years ago, Lord, show me what really works. Show me how to live this. Show me how this really works. And I've learned and am learning about the sovereignty of God. Everything I go through, God is in control, and I know that, hey, I'm in the situation I'm in because God is God. And uh, as R.C. Sproul said, if there's one uh, maverick molecule in the universe, verse, God is not God. God is God. Say this with me, God is sovereign over my life right now. And remember this as I close, there's always an upside to every down situation in your life. There's always an upside to every down situation in your life. You say, what is the upside for Paul being beat Uh, and Silas being beat and them being abused and punched and they're bleeding and they're thrown in jail. What's the upside to that? Well, the upside is obvious in this story. There was a jailer that was in that jail that heard Paul singing, that saw the earthquake, and his family, not just himself, but he and his whole family were saved. My question is, would that jailer have found Jesus if Paul had not been in that prison? It seems like God positioned Paul and Silas by his sovereignty to be in that spot at that moment. And they were singing and worshiping the Lord. And a jailer who was a pagan jailer heard God and came to faith. So I know it's complicated, but I, in my life, as I go through life, I say, God, you're sovereign today over my life and I see you was working all things. Say it with me. There is always an upside. To every downside in your life. So this week, as I close, I was reading about, uh, I was reading about this guy named uh, Spencer Silver, who back in 1968 worked for, worked for IBM, and uh, his job was to, IBM had commissioned him to create this new glue uh, that was supposed to be very strong, uh, and he, his assignment from IBM was to was to make this glue uh, that was the strongest glue IBM have ever uh, ever produced. Instead, he came up with this glue through a, this failed experiment that became the weakest glue that IBM have ever made. So his assignment was to make the strongest glue, but he ended up making the weakest glue, and so he thought. You know, what a, this is an interesting invention. You could stick this glue, but you could unstick it and then stick it again. In 1968, he came up with that. And you know, in IBM, like, what the world, this is not what we asked you to do. It looked like a, fail, a failing moment. But what happened was, you know, for five years, he kept, like, pitching that. You know, we got to do something with this glue. And there was this guy that he was a friend with in IBM, a guy named Art Fry, who went to the Presbyterian Church, St. Paul, Minnesota. And he sang in the choir. And on Wednesday nights... When he'd go to choir practice, he would put little pieces of paper in the hymnal to uh, mark his spot, and then when he'd come back on Sunday, those little pieces of paper would fall out. And Art Fry thought, hey, Spencer Silver has developed this glue. What if we made bookmarks with a little glue on it we could stick on as bookmarks and you could pull them off and mark the pages? So they developed what was called Post-its. Post-its. How many have ever used Post-its? How many could not live without Post-its? Do you know how many of these they sell a year? 50 billion. 50 billion. Here's a picture of Art Fry and Spencer, uh, Spencer Silver. The guy, the, uh, the guy on the right is Art Fry. He's the choir member. Uh, the Presbyterian Church St. Paul, Minnesota, that got the idea during church during a boring sermon. (laughs) And he thought, he went to his friends, Dr. Uh, Spencer Silver, and said, I know what we can do with your glue. And he came up with that. Every, every downside has an upside. Every jailer Next to the Apostle Paul needs to hear about Jesus. It looked like a downside, but it was really an upside. Say this with me before we pray. My downsides are really upsides that God's at work in. Lift up your hands this morning. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your sovereignty in our life, that you are a sovereign, holy, powerful God. We thank you you've never said oops, you've never made a mistake. And we thank you that you're at work in our lives right now, and we find strength and comfort in your word. We thank you for Paul's singing in jail. Help us to sing in the dark places of life because you're sovereign. And you still are at work in our life. I pray your blessing on our church as we go into a brand new week. We know that you're with us. We know that you're going to empower us. And we're going to have a great week because you're with us and you're working in our life. And we love you, Jesus, with all our heart. Help us to be a praying church and fill us with your love. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.